Hi, I'm Susan Wise Bauer, the co-author of The Well-Trained Mind. And I'm Susanna Jarrett, editor at The Well-Trained Mind Press. And we're talking about education for all parents and for all children in all sorts of settings. And Susanna, I'm in a different place than usual today. We are on vacation at the beach uh, in the Outer Banks. We love the Outer Banks for a family vacation. And I, of course, forgot my microphone. So our sound engineer has assured me that this will do perfectly well. I'm using my computer microphone, but if I sound just a little bit different to those of you out in podcast land, that's why. It will be well worth it for getting some well-deserved relaxation. We have eaten so much bacon. I just can't even tell you. (laughs) We have eaten our body weight in bacon um, on this vacation um, and played lots of games. That sounds fun. Uh, So talk to us, Susanna, about what we're doing today. Yeah. So in the last episode, we discussed the history of classical education and we got all the way up to the 1940s with Dorothy Sayers and her essay that kind of revived and brought uh, classical education principles back to the forefront of educators' minds. If you haven't heard it yet, you can check it out. But that leads us today to a conversation about where we are today with classical education and where classical education is going. So a lot of different people and different leaders think that students have different needs. And in a lot of ways, classical education is a revival of ancient principles now shaped around the needs of modern students. And it will come as no surprise that different parents and different educators want to fit these principles to meet different perceived needs of students, whether that's Students must master a particular body of texts. Some people use classical education for that or to hold on to a political idea or a political position or a religious position. People could use classical education principles for that or the perceived need of students to get into a really great college. If that's your biggest need for your student, you could use classical education for that. So we're seeing today classical education being used for very, very different reasons and purposes. And, you know, I've been involved in classical, and I think we said this in the last episode, but I'll say it again. We published The Well-Trained Mind in 1999, and I started noticing four or five years later that all sorts of curricula were suddenly describing themselves as classical that had never used the word classical before. So it starts to lose its meaning a little bit. Yeah. I I keep thinking of this word portmanteau. A portmanteau, it's it's chiefly, it's a British word. It's a, a big case or a bag or a leather trunk or a suitcase that opens out into two halves so you can stick a whole bunch of stuff in it and then close it. And I feel like classical education is like a big old antique trunk. Now, maybe beautifully carved, but you open the top and then you stuff into it all of the things that you think are important for students. And then you close it and say, look, classical education. Mm. So, you know, we ended in the last episode with Dorothy Sayers' particular take on classical education, which is that she took the medieval trivium, and she mapped it onto the development of a secondary school student. And then she outlined all of this in this talk at Oxford University that was then published in 1947 as this essay called The Lost Tools of Learning, right? Mm -hmm. And one of her main concerns was that the trivium, this medieval scheme, offered, and this is a quote, a coherent scheme of mental training, and that that could armed children against what she called the quote unquote massed propaganda of the modern world. So I think you had some thoughts on how this massed propaganda idea of massed propaganda struck 
a certain set of conservative parents. Right. And there's an article by Louis Marcos for Christianity Today that I would tell people it's really interesting. Um, You can read it. I'll link it in the show notes. But he had found that the idea of classical education as a weapon against mass propaganda was really, really attractive to certain groups of almost ostracized conservative religious groups. Or at least they felt ostracized. Right. right? They felt ostracized. It was a self-perception. Yeah. Right. And in that, in the 50s and 60s, these groups didn't really engage in politics, didn't engage in the wider world. They had more isolated themselves and tried to protect themselves in the world. Moving into the 70s and 80s, these groups began to get more involved again, more involved politically. And as they made that transition for a whole bunch of different reasons that um, are included in that article, this idea of classical education as a solution to kind of help their children be, to, to very loosely quote John 17, in the world but not of it, to help them shift from being more isolated to being more involved, um, was really attractive because they would needed that mental training to go out and be in the world but also not be affected by it. Right. It's really worth noting, I think, that Dorothy Sayers had worked as an advertising copywriter. Uh, you know, she's also a mystery novelist. I'm a big fan of her Peter Whimsey novels. So one of those is called Murder Must Advertise. And in that novel, her detective, Peter Whimsey, actually goes to work in an ad agency. And it's really a fascinating novel because it's all about manipulation and how Mm. ad agencies, which I think she saw as one of the, you know, sort of the major culture and taste shapers of her day, were able to manipulate people And so Dorothy Sayers, just by professionally, was very interested in protecting children against manipulation, hence Mm. her use of the phrase mass propaganda, which obviously certain groups of Christians found very compelling. Right. And that is so compelling to think that she was writing that in the 1940s before even the internet. And now you have children barraged with advertisement I mean, as soon as you give them access to the internet every day. So you can see how that would be a growing concern amongst parents, not just Christians, but parents in general. So at this time, Christians were becoming increasingly concerned about their children's interaction with the world. And classical education gave them kind of a a weapon almost that they could use to train their their children um, to interact with this world that they felt had kind of excluded them. And disregarded them. Yeah. And and I would definitely call this a grievance motivation that you feel left out. And we see so much of this in contemporary political rhetoric as well. No matter which side you're on, you hear this grievance motivation. I'm being excluded by the mainstream. The mainstream doesn't care about me. So you look around for a weapon that will help you fight back. And it just strikes me. Nobody likes to feel left out. It's kind of the primary dynamic behind junior high school social groups, right. um, this constant jockeying to get people to recognize you, right? Mm-hmm. And of course, I feel like it's, a, and I'm sure you would agree, Suzanne, it's yeah. a legitimate concern that children should be protected from manipulation by advertisers and commercial enterprises generally. But that, of course, should be true of all children. And what we're talking right. about here is the embrace of classical education by a particular socially conservative group of Christians who otherwise would seem unlikely to latch on to a model of education that was conceived of and taught by ancient polytheists who were sexually permissive, 
certainly not by and large heterosexual and often ended up being the enemies of the conservative governments of their time. It's a very odd sort of historical connection there. Right. And it's interesting that this isn't the first time that a unlikely group became kind of the bearers of classical education and that all a long time ago in medieval times, it was the Catholic church that latched onto this notion of classical education and kind of built the, the original classical curriculum, even though early on in the classical church, they had rejected any sources that were pagan. Uh, Eventually they, they changed their tune largely influenced by um, Augustine. They, decided that it was useful to them to learn from these pagan sources, to learn from these Greek and Roman philosophers in order to better train their clergymen. And so they made this practical decision to start translating Greek texts and using them in their training. And that helped preserve the books and texts for generations to come. Kind of an unlikely source. And now again, we have kind of an unlikely source taking these really Roman and and Greek ideas and applying them in a in Christian schools. Yeah, it's in both cases, it seems like a very pragmatic decision, Mm -hmm. as opposed to a principled decision, a decision that says, hey, this is the best tool that we have to Mm -hmm. fight something that we think needs fighting. So here's what we're going to use. And, you know, certainly in the in the 20th century, that on into the 20th century, one of the biggest uh, players using those pagan sources to disseminate their own concerns and agendas was Douglas Wilson. So in 1981, little background here. Doug Wilson was one of the founding board members of a private Christian school in Moscow, Idaho, called the Logos School. And if you look at the Logos School website, which we'll link in our show notes, you can see how the school was applying Dorothy Sayers categories. So it says, Logos School seeks to emphasize grammar, logic, and rhetoric in all subject. Grammar, the fundamental roles of each subject. Logic, the ordered relationship of particulars in each subject. Rhetoric, how the grammar and logic of each subject may be clearly expressed. So that was Dorothy Sayers' summary of Mm -hmm. the medieval trivium, right? Mm -hmm. But then... Logos School, as a Christian school, says in all of its levels, programs and teaching, Logos School seeks to teach all subjects. There are Bible references in here. We'll link the this in our show note, but I won't read them all. Teach all subjects as parts of an integrated whole with the scriptures at the center. Provide a clear model of the biblical Christian life through our staff and board. Encourage every student to begin and develop his relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ. So mm. this um, this school takes these classical principles and just explicitly melds them with this vision for what they would express as a biblical worldview. So after Logo School was established and had been going for a few years, Doug Wilson wrote a book called Recovering the Lost Tools of Learning. And then he eventually started the Association of Classical Christian Schools. And because of this, he was very influential in the modern American classical school movement. I actually spoke to him in, I think, 1998. We were working on the manuscript for The Well-Trained Mind, and I called him at the Logo School, managed to get him on the phone, and I said, here's who I am. He didn't, of course, know who I was. And we are working on a plan for parents to be able to teach this pattern of the trivium at home. And he, he was he was very kind. I mean, his take was pretty much, well, good luck with that. Sounds <laughs> unlikely. Go for it and see what happens. So 
um, you know, he was very influential. And here's here's the thing. And I, and I I'm not I don't want to bag too much on Doug Wilson, but there are aspects of his take on classical education that I would say that's Doug Wilson's take. That is not, quote unquote, classical. Right. So if you look at recovering the lost tools of learning, it is very clear that Wilson does not believe that true education is possible for anyone outside of a Christian worldview and a biblical foundation. And that is a very familiar position to me because I have a seminary degree from a reformed seminary. Mm -hmm. And there's this whole strain of reformed theology that says without God, you can't even trust that two plus two equals four. Mm. There is no knowledge outside of God. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I am a Christian, but I have a much higher view of what would be called common grace than Doug Wilson does, I think. Mm -hmm. In other words, there are vast numbers of things in this world that can be rightly understood by anyone who has eyes and ears and a brain. Right. I don't want to get again, I don't want to get too far in the theological weeds with this. Right. But Doug Wilson's position there leads him in directions that I, I not only disagree with, but I think shouldn't be associated with the idea of classical education. And, you know, those would include a complete rejection of the value of public schools. If you look at recovering the lost tools of learning, Wilson believes public schools are antichrist and that mm. no Christian parent should ever have a child in a public school. 100% not a classical position. Mm. Um, in fact, I would say if you went all the way back to Aristotle and Plato, they would argue very strenuously that it's in the best interest of any nation to have an educated population. Mm -hmm. He's got a very strict patriarchal stance, both about culture and marriage. He is also, and I just have to say this, he has spoken at neo-Confederate conferences. Oh, wow. He has adopted positions supportive of Confederate causes. He has, in his printed books, described slavery in the South as a beneficial institution with mutual respect between masters and slaves. These are things that are very troubling. Right. And again, we we can provide links in our show notes so that Mm -hmm. you can, you know, have a look at this yourself. Yeah. My point is that Wilson's take on classical education is not the take on classical education, right? It's tied to a particular type of social and theological conservatism Mm -hmm. that other classical educators like me, for example, mm-hmm. don't necessarily share. Right. You know, it reminds me of your analogy, which I think is a really helpful one from the beginning about the portmanteau. It's thinking about mm-hmm. these principles of classical education being bagged with all of these other things that aren't really classical education, but because Wilson is so popular and influential in the field become packaged together to where people don't know what is classical and what isn't. And I think that becomes a very common misconception. Well, Susanna, you pointed out, and and this will also be in the show notes, there's a really helpful article written by um, William C. Michael of Classical Liberal Arts Academy. And he has a list of some things that classical Christian education has come to mean Mm. um, that wasn't necessarily the case um, earlier in this century. So if you don't mind, I'm just going to run down this list because all of these things pop up in classical Christian education. Right. Here's the list he provides. This type of education wishes to preserve, quote unquote, Western civilization. We're going to have to do a whole nother show on Western civilization. Yeah, for sure. It seeks to maintain America's, quote unquote, Christian foundation. 
it promotes, and now we really get far away from classicism, it promotes an America first foreign policy. Although come to think of it, I think the Greeks would have appreciated that because they would definitely have been a Greek first. (laughs) (laughs) But it's a political, it's a specific political idea that is linked into a whole educational philosophy. Yes, absolutely. Um, It defends, quote unquote, traditional marriage and family life and gender roles. It seeks to criminalize abortion, which would have puzzled the Greeks no end. They would have been like, what are you talking about? It seeks to maintain the civilian right to bear arms. Again, just a peculiarly modern American concern. It argues for capitalism rather than socialism. And it votes for Republican political candidates. And mm. there, there you can you can track each one of these social concerns through writings about classical Christian education at the end of the 20th century and beginning of the 21st century in America. So, you know, we're we're back to portmanteau here. Right. Back to portmanteau. And I think that the danger there is that groups like this, Hillsdale, which I'm going to talk about in a second, Douglas Wilson, they are the loudest voices in classical education. So people Very don't loud. realize that classical education is for everyone. And it would be so sad to me if people started to associate classical education with a specific list of political ideas and thus said, oh no, you know, my child couldn't benefit from it because we're secular or we're Christian, but we like to separate, you know, our education from our religion a little bit more, or we're from a different religion. These principles are so beneficial to students. And by mixing it all in with these political ideologies, a lot of students are going to miss out, which is really sad to me. But I think it's also one thing that's positive is that, you know, when you talk to Douglas Wilson in the late nineties and he said, you know, go ahead. I don't think, I don't think it's going to be very, yeah, (laughs) I don't think it's going to work, but it did work. There are so many homeschoolers who use classical education, who use the well-trained mind. And I think that's a testament to how powerful these principles are, that homeschoolers from every background are experiencing so much success with them. You know, and I remember actually after the well-trained mind came out, um, getting a call from someone who was on, who I won't mention their name because they're not necessarily a public figure, but someone who was very involved with ACCS and who really wanted to pin me down and say, you're doing classical education, but it's not Christian. You're not mm-hmm. willing to say that Christian theology has to be part of the educational enterprise. And so what you're doing is not really classical education. I mean, I remember it distinctly because it was the first time that I'd been, you know, so explicitly confronted about this. Mm. Um, and, and I remember, putting, you know, putting the phone down and saying to my husband who had come in the room and was like, what are you, who are you talking to and why? Right. They just they want to make classical education into a tool for conversion. And Mm. I really want kids to be able to read and write and do math. Right. It's two separate things in your mind and not and not there. That's interesting. And we'll be right back. Do you wish there was somewhere you could go to find the cream of the crop homeschool resources for every subject and grade level? Well, now there is. We are excited to announce the Well-Trained Mind Recommendations Portal. For years, parents and educators have looked to print editions of The Well-Trained Mind by Jesse Wise and Susan Wise Bauer for its trusted book lists and curricula suggestions. Now we have pulled those suggestions out of the print book and put them online so that you can continuously access the most up-to-date recommendations for the highest quality homeschool resources. 
This curated list can help you simplify and supercharge your homeschool planning. For a limited time, we are offering one-year access for just $12.99. So don't wait. Subscribe today at welltrainedmind.com. Well, that brings me to Hillsdale College because this is another group that is very, very influential right now in the news. If you look up classical education, you're going to see their name. And, and has only become so relatively recently. Yes, also. this is a, this is a recent uh, development. They are a, a small Christian liberal arts college in Michigan, and, and they have been in the past seen as almost an incubator for conservative political talent. You have mm-hmm. students who would get internships and fellowships with groups in Washington, Republican groups in Washington, famous politically conservative figures would come to the school to give speeches or to be professors. So this kind of relationship. But in the last two decades, the school has become much more involved in specifically Republican politics and has vastly expanded its influence in Washington. They actually recently built a campus in Washington, D.C. for graduate students. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So that has been the work mainly of the the new president or the current president, Larry Arn. And he mm-hmm. has gone on a lot of very explicitly partisan news shows and podcasts and radio shows to kind of the embarrassment of some alumni who who saw Hillsdale as representing like a strong liberal arts curriculum in the past, but more and more so have become politicized and emphasizing um, their specific vision for education. Some people think that's because, and this is from a New Yorker article that I'll link in the show notes, that that's because the school doesn't take funding from the government. And so they're relying on, you know, making their name known to conservatives with who can donate, who never even went to the school and by kind of associating themselves with certain policies, they could get more funding. So that's one theory for why that's happening. But anyway, in recent years, they've become very influential in in different ways. They offer very popular courses online. They have a class called the Constitution 101 class for adults. Mm. They've created a kindergarten through 12th grade history and civics curriculum that was kind of a direct response to the 1619 project by the New York Times. And it's called the 1776 project. And it's kind mm. of a conservative alternative to the 1619 project, which is, of course, controversial in that way. Um, and they've also started sponsoring charter schools across the country. So very, very involved in what you might call the culture wars. Um, and now... I don't know. Can, can I interrupt you for a yeah. minute, Susanna? Because I just, I just find this so fascinating. You think about, okay, why would this institution... And by the way, I actually, I spoke at Hillsdale. It's probably been, oh gosh, it's probably been 18 or 20 years. Mm-hmm. They asked me when I was working on my, the first working on my world history series to come out and do just, you know, a walk through history and I, mm-hmm. I I go where I'm invited, you know, and right. at that point, Hillsdale was not involved in this sort of classical education movement. And I went out and I did a walk through history and they were they, they all looked a little bit puzzled by what I was trying to do, which was mm-hmm. say, let's chronologically go through some of the major turning points that has brought us where we are today. But it's just after having been there I think about the fact that they decided to adopt the term classical education for mm-hmm. this new charter school enterprise. And I can't help thinking that the semantics just have a lot to do with this. So mm. if you say liberal arts, 
right to a certain number of conservatives all they hear is liberal Right. Oh. It, it, the word itself has almost become tainted. Mm. Whereas if you say classical, people think classical music. They think mm-hmm. Western civilization. It sounds safer. Right. Um, but it, it sounds more conservative somehow. Yeah. But it's ironic because by losing the term liberal arts, because really they were a strong liberal arts school, albeit mm-hmm. Christian and, you know, stated Christian on their website. If you went there, you knew you were going to a Christian college. Um, sure. They had a strong liberal arts curriculum, and now by taking the name classical education instead, what's happening, I think, is that like a strong liberal arts curriculum is being associated with, oh, you're you're this way. You you believe this. Mm-hmm. You're part of this religion, and I don't want that for my kids. And so we're you're losing access to it for people who don't follow those particular belief systems, which is yeah. is is sad to see. But yeah, that's an interesting point. Now they're coming up in the news even more because of presidential hopeful Ron DeSantis. He references them frequently in what he wants education to look like if he were to become president. So he's lauded them as an example of a U.S. college and journalists who are saying, okay, Ron DeSantis is talking about classical education. What do, what does he mean? They point to Hillsdale. Right. And because there's a, a very strong connection between DeSantis and Hillsdale. And so because of that, now Hillsdale is associated very strongly with what is classical education. And I think that's only going to become more so in the next election cycle as people are like, okay, what is, what is this classical education thing that this candidate keeps bringing up? Oh, it's Hillsdale. It's a Christian education. It's a conservative education. It's a Republican education. It's a Republican rather than conservative. You gotta gotta love an election year. Right. (laughs) So, so let's take a few minutes then. And of course this is, see, we're, we're recording this in um, the early summer of 20, 2023. So the campaign cycles will continue. The news cycles will continue. People will say stupid things and the reporters will jump all over them. So, you know, this may start to sound a bit dated, but I think that there have been a lot of loud voices talking about classical education and largely in political terms. Mm -hmm. um, So that this term has become associated as we've been saying, not with a style of learning, a type of learning, a type of training the mind, but with particular social and political positions. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, Susanna, you've done a little bit of a roundup on some recent news articles that show the influence of that sort of Doug Wilson slash Hillsdale use of classical. Um, and so can we just talk a bit about where we are at the moment that we're recording this podcast? Yeah, let's do it. So the first article I found is from ABC, and all of these will be linked in the show notes. And the title is Classical Education Charter Schools on the Rise in Florida with Help from Small Conservative Michigan College. So right there, you can see the influence of classical is what Hillsdale is promoting. I want to read you uh, a quote from this to see what you think. Christian College in Michigan is working to expand a classical education curriculum it describes as instruction in Western tradition with a firm grounding in civic virtue. But some education experts describe classical education as conservative, narrowly focused, and unabashedly patriotic. Well, okay, so let's let's look at some of these terms here. 
Um, Western tradition. This is going to be a podcast. We got to do right. this one, Susanna. Oh, my goodness, yes. I think people are a little confused sometime about where this Western tradition came from. Mm-hmm. They don't realize the vast African influence. Hello, mm-hmm. Augustine. Right. On the Western tradition, the influence from the Byzantine Empire, the fact that Arabic translations of Greek and Latin works were at the center of the revival of classical learning. So when we talk about instruction in Western tradition... Mm-hmm. That in itself becomes immediately limiting. Nothing wrong with civic virtue. There's nothing wrong with being unabashedly patriotic. But, of course, if I could just toss in another quote from that article, <laughs> this is a, from Professor Bruce Fuller of the University of California. He says that what you see in this is this belief that Western European and white forms of knowledge are the highest forms of knowledge. Mm-hmm. And That is something that we can't get away from the undertone of racism in some of these Mm -hmm. descriptions of classical education. Yeah. That white European ways of knowing are the best. Look, I'm a white person of European descent. I respect Mm -hmm. my heritage and I'm grateful for it. But I'm not going to push away other forms of knowledge Mm -hmm. um, in order to protect that as somehow higher uh, right. than, than other, other methods of knowing. And I think that what we have seen in terms of resistance to the study of racism, mm-hmm. the study of systematic racism, and let me just be very clear, systematic racism means that white people were given authority to establish systems, which is mm-hmm. just a historical fact. And when white people establish systems, those systems are likely to benefit white people. I mean, that just seems so self-evident to me. Mm -hmm. What is the great fear in acknowledging that that is actually part of the Western tradition? But I think that what what the people who are objecting to this, quote unquote, classical education are saying is it's cutting off the opportunity of talking about any flaws in, in this particular system. Right. That is interesting. And we'll see that again in a few of the critiques um, or at least descriptions of classical education in these articles. Um, Mm -hmm. It comes up again and again, and it strikes me that one part of history that somehow became obscured and I think is starting to become clearer now is that the world was much more globalized than I think we consider it to be farther back than we consider it to be. So absolutely when you critique classical education is well, this focus on Western, like you said, this focus on Western sources means that it's just not diverse. Um, really doesn't hold water when you see all the connections and how the world was connected and how different groups of people were learning from each other and sharing with each other and, and writing sources that we can study now. It doesn't have to be a Eurocentric education. Absolutely doesn't. And I'm sure we're going to talk about that more when we have a whole podcast on it. Yes, we will. All right, carry on. All right. So the next one comes from the Orlando Sentinel, and it is an editorial. Um, DeSantis wants to focus on classical education. This is the title. What does that mean? So this article is, what is classical education? I'm curious to to hear what you think about this uh, first definition. Classical programs focus on fundamental skills for all students taught in a very structured way that emphasizes, quote, great works of history and rarely strays beyond the boundaries of textbooks. 
Uh, so we have classical uh, education does not go beyond the textbook. Oh my goodness. Well, if you've ever listened to anything that I've ever said about classical education, you will know that I 100% disagree with this. Focus on fundamental skills. Yes, of course. Well, all decent education under whatever name should focus on fundamental skills. There are two things in this definition that that sort of make my alarm bells ring. Of course, rarely strays beyond the boundaries of textbooks. No, classical (laughs) education is all about a direct encounter with the minds of the past, a direct encounter with the minds of the past that leaves us free to say, this was brilliant or this is bad. Right. Yeah. Both. So absolutely not. But then also, I'm a little concerned about this emphasizes, quote unquote, great works of history. Mm. Sometimes that can be a code for things written by white people that we agree with. Right. I don't know that it is in this case, but that can be a coded a coded phrase for safe, yeah. safe books. I think that you are hitting the nail on the head here. He goes on in the article to say that since most of those great texts were crafted in theocratic societies, they tend to be more overtly religious. And the religion mm-hmm. is almost exclusively Christianity, which is generally portrayed as tantamount to virtue. The roles of right. women and ethnic minorities are far less likely to be included in lessons. And there is little mention of marginalized communities. Students are rarely exposed to the perspective of someone who is in quotation marks, other through their ethnicity or sexuality. So he kind of goes in deeper into that and explains how he believes because these sources come from a Western society, which is in his mind, a Christian society, they are necessarily Eurocentric, necessarily limited, necessarily out of date. Well, and and I, I don't I don't know where editorials generally being unsigned. I don't know what this particular editorial stance is. Um, either the writer of this editorial has got this wrong or DeSantis has it wrong mm-hmm. because he also says, or she, I don't know who the editor is, classical education models unabashedly focus on historic Western civilization and rely heavily on rote memorization and facts-based testing. That's mm-hmm. just completely untrue. Mm, yeah. That is, all, that is a, memorization, rote memorization is a useful tool in the elementary grades. But as I have said over and over and over and over again, you have to move away from that by the middle grades or you're going to lose your students because they're going right. to get bored and cut off. And facts-based is the opposite of what a classical education is intended to do. And classical education is intended to produce students who can deal with subtleties and Mm -hmm. shades of meaning and take a position and argue for it and listen carefully to what the other side is saying. So I don't know where the mischaracterization is coming in, but this right. is not classical education. Right. And I, my best faith interpretation of fact space is that they mean something like content rich, but then going into like going back That's to very charitable of you, <laughs> but going back to like never strays from the textbook, I really don't know where they would have gotten that because that's, I don't know. I've never heard of that being associated with classical education. I know. I know. And then you, then you have this salon article, which right. I find fascinating, right? <laughs> yeah. So this one is called the war on public schools is being fought from Hillsdale college. Once again, Hillsdale College, it's talking specifically about the charter school or charter schools, rather, that Hillsdale College um, kind of helps and supports. And it says this, to that end, the college has inconspicuously been building a network of 
quote, quote, classical education charter schools. And I have to say, I, I appreciate that the author used quotations marks around the term classical education throughout the yes. article. It's almost as if they think, yeah, I think this term is being used in a way that it might not. You keep using that to. word. I do not think it means what you think it means. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, so back to the quote, which used public tax dollars to teach that systemic racism was effectively vanquished in the 1960s, that America was founded on Judeo-Christian principles, and that progressivism is fundamentally anti-American. Which one of us shall point out the enormous contradiction between Hillsdale as an institution and what Hillsdale is doing right. as a supporter of charter schools? I mean, this is a school that they they, they hung their hat on. We don't take tax money. Mm-hmm. Right. And there I don't this the, the 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 contradiction here almost makes it difficult for me to think about anything else in this article. Right. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I think I think they must be referring to the 1776 curriculum here when they're listing off this these things. Oh, yes. Um, yes, I expect but, so. But even then, um it's it's messy, and I would have to look at the curriculum more specifically to see um, where those critiques are coming from. Yeah, yeah. So that's actually something I think we will probably at some point, Susanna, come back around to uh, tax dollars in education and mm. maybe talk about this. But this is definitely a developing story, so we'll mm-hmm. see where they go from here. Right. Um, yeah, so then you've got one last very interesting story here from the Washington Examiner. <laughs> right. No, this is the title, Classical Education is not a racist dog whistle. And this article is actually just <laughs> responding to an MSNBC clip. One of the columnists that they were talking to, Michael Harriet, expressed that classical education, classical education was a dog is one of those dog whistles that means CRT is not taught here. Um, you know, when the, those people like the Moms of Liberty uh, oppose CRT, they say they want their children to have a classical education, which means like the stuff that the, da- the daughters of the Confederacy want you to learn, the stuff that, you know, says that George Washington was not a slave. That's just like outrightly teaching lies. Um, and and basically it's a it's a dog whistle for racism. This is what the columnist says about classical schools. Right. And, tr- and clearly he is looking at certain specific quote unquote, classical schools. I have a feeling from looking at his remarks that he has probably read or at least been exposed to Doug Wilson's book Mm -hmm. talking about the benefits of slavery for the South. Mm -hmm. Um, So he is speaking of some varieties of schools that call themselves classical education. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's nice to see someone pushing back and saying, just because you have seen these positions from people who call themselves classical educators, that's not what classical education is. Mm-hmm. So I think the article actually defends classical education, yes? Right, it does, it does. It mentions how, and I'll read this this last quote, as the tides turned in favor of progressive educational practices in the late 19th and early 20th century, many of classical education's most outspoken supporters were black American leaders such as W.E.B. Du Bois and Anna Julia Cooper. For Du Bois, Cooper, and other like-minded contemporaries, access to classical education was inseparable from access to voting rights and full civic equality. So the article kind of yes. goes into this history of classical education, which is actually really interesting. We didn't get into it in our other podcast about the history of classical education, but the embrace of it during even the pre-civil rights movement, segregated schools, how uh, many, many black American schools used classical education. And obviously they wouldn't be teaching these 
horrific things and untruths mm-hmm. to their students, but that since then, the, this term has been co-opted or stolen, I guess, by specific groups that are doing different things with it. Well, and, and you know, this is terms are terms are always being stolen. This right. Is, this is a reality. Um, look, I grew up in a very conservative religious family. And I remember my father, like sometime I was really little. It must have been the 1970s that he was saying that. I remember him saying one day, you know what? I just feel like that um, that the, the previous term by which he described his own conservative religious stance, and I can't remember what that was, I just feel like has been stolen and now it means something so much different from what it used to. I'm so glad that Francis Schaeffer has introduced this term fundamentalist because I think fundamentalist <laughs> and my parents were actually quite socially progressive, right. theologically conservative, very socially progressive. I just feel like fundamentalism expresses that I believe in the Bible, but I don't doesn't have all of this other conservative social baggage to it, essentially. Mm. Well, and look what happened to the term fundamentalism. I mean, right. this is a this is a cycle that continues. Right. Progressive now means something bad to a lot of people who are socially mm-hmm. conservative, when in fact, progressivism for so many decades meant that you believed in equal access to voting rights and mm-hmm. and civic protection and the privileges that every American should have, the terms keep getting shifted. And I'm. this is not, I'm sure, going to be the last conversation we have about what classical education is. I, I would say that what we're seeing is that different groups are super anxious to grab the term classical education and use it mm-hmm. towards their own political ends. And that just shows you that it's a powerful term. Right. Yeah, it's it's a term that embodies things that can be used by different people that that are useful for all kinds of families. And I think it's sad that it's one of, like you said, many things, many terms that have been politicized in almost a strange way, overly politicized. But Mm -hmm. I would just come back to the fact that, you know, on the one hand, when you hear, oh, here's a classical school, should I send my child to it? Well, you're going to have to do more research to find out what that school stands for and if it aligns with your family's values. Um, But on the other hand, I would argue that we shouldn't lose the term classical education. We should hold on to it and remind ourselves that these principles, these books are they don't belong to one group. You know, we, mm-hmm. we should continue to fight for a more honest, historically accurate definition of what classical education is so that it can continue to be used for all kinds of children everywhere who could benefit from it. I, I absolutely agree. And, you know, this is let's those of you who are listening, take this as an exhortation to do your homework <laughs> um, just because the term classical education is used doesn't mean that classical education is being followed or that the principles are even being honored. Just because a school quotes the well-trained mind in its about us section doesn't mean that it is aligned with what we describe in the well-trained mind. At the same time, I have reservations about ACCS. I have reservations about its connection with Doug Wilson. And it's so far, you know, uh, it has not disavowed some of his more extreme social positions. Um, Mm -hmm. But just because a school is an ACCS member doesn't necessarily mean that it holds those positions either. Right. Um, ACCS provides a way towards accreditation for many schools that are doing Mm -hmm. something that I would 100% agree is classical in form. Mm -hmm. So you got to get in there. You can't just read what's on the website. You need to talk to the teachers. You need to Mm -hmm. visit classes. You need to find out 
what the teachers are actually doing so that you know if that's something you want to be part of or not. Right. Awesome. And that is all we have for today. I'm sure you may have thoughts about this episode or topic ideas for future episodes or guests you'd like us to interview. We would love to hear from you. You can send us a note anytime at podcast at welltrainedmind.com. 